welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today, we're going to be playing an interview I held recently with Maggie Kimbrell, content editor of American Whiskey Magazine and all-around whiskey extraordinaire. Maggie and I discussed, among different whiskey topics, the rising price of whiskey and what can we expect in terms of whiskey economics moving forward. So, Kyle, I'm a little hurt that you did this one without me. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to the topic of whiskey, I'm, I'm, I'm hot to trot, so to speak. And I was, I could not <laughs> wait will. to, if you will, I could not wait to talk to uh, Maggie with this one. So I don't know, I, I, the invite must have gotten lost. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because, you know, I try to keep you in line and, you know, keep you on the straight and narrow. But, I think when yeah. it comes when it comes to whiskey, it's better to just let me go rambling off. I mean, I, I think that is the production note I've received. Just more <laughs> rambling about whiskey. Well, I know it wasn't for me, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, well, I, I will. Oh, what, what were you going to say? I'm going to say I forgive you, and I always <laughs> like to talk to Maggie, but it will be interesting to hear what you have to say. And um, yeah, I haven't bought whiskey. In a long time, that sounds kind of bad, but I, I do have a pretty big stash. So um, I haven't noticed the price increases as much because especially when I need one, you just like, I, you know, I just, you just pay what it, it goes if you need a certain brand. So I haven't really noticed it, but I certainly believe you guys that, <laughs> that it exists. <laughs> and just as everything else has gone up in the world, you know, I'm sure that's hit a product like whiskey. So yeah, I'm. Look forward to hearing what you have to say, just like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as much as we're making jokes here about my love of rambling about whiskey, you actually won't hear as much, I think, if I were trying to remember from me in this podcast, because uh, uh, when you have someone like Maggie on the podcast, of course, you want to let Maggie do the talking because Maggie has forgotten more about whiskey than I'll ever know. And that's coming from someone who knows far too much about whiskey. But Maggie is the absolute expert. Pleasure talking with her as always. And so let's uh, let's give it a listen. Joining me today is the content editor of American Whiskey Magazine, Maggie Kimbrell. Thank you so much for joining me, Maggie. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And I really enjoy talking whiskey with you because you're, without a doubt, one of the most knowledgeable people in this industry when it comes to whiskey. I really enjoy our conversation that we've had through the years. I always find myself learning so much whenever we speak. I am not going to tell anybody that I paid you to say that before we came on. <laughs> <laughs> Send me some whiskey samples. Exactly. There Thank you, you go. So, much <laughs> so we're talking about today is something that I'm sure that anybody who's in the industry or a whiskey uh, fan themselves has noticed, and that is the rising prices of whiskey at retail. It's it's hard to miss that every single year now, I, at least for the last five or six years, the SRPs are creeping up and up and up. And of course, there's a lot of different reasons for that that we're going to get into. But before I uh, before we get into any of those uh, more specifically, Maggie, just broadly, what is your thought on that topic? So, you know, I, I do have a lot of thoughts on this topic and, and what I brought along a visual aid today. Um, so this, this little fellow right here, uh, we used to be able to get this for eight bucks. This is the heaven Hill, uh, white label. This is a six year old bottled and bond Kentucky bourbon. The, the typical selling price for this up until they discontinued it was about 10 99, somewhere, but when it would go on sale for like $7.99, $8.99. So this was one of the most incredible values in bourbon for a very long time. 
And it's easy to see in this context why those prices kept going up, right? So uh, to add a little historical context to what's going on now, during the 60s, 70s, 80s, and much of the 90s, beverages like beer, wine, wine coolers, you know, that's when you got the shelf-stable mixers, the Dayglow green sweet and sour mix uh, that, <laughs> that folks were using. It was an era of convenience mm. and also like I don't want to drink whiskey because that's what my grandpa drank. Mm-hmm. You know, people were in, if people did do spirits, it was like clear rum, clear vodka, and then a whole bunch of other, you know, like sugary mixers along with it. Um, and so really the American whiskey industry was struggling to compete with that. Uh, globally, scotch has always done very well. That was also a time of of change for the scotch industry because they went from, you know, people preferring the, the blended scotches to uh, preferring uh, single malt scotches which was you know it's a, it's a really interesting shift over over there as well but globally scotch was still doing doing very well during that time american whiskey was was having a hard time and so to compete with all the other things on the shelf that you know you could you can make a, a vodka today put it in a bottle put it on a truck and it can be at a store on a shelf tomorrow mm. and so you know when you're looking at something like you know whiskey specifically bourbon where you're putting it in a barrel you're putting it in a warehouse and you're waiting it, you know in, in the case of this one six years and so you know you figure about four percent angel share loss a year you're also getting less out at the end of that so not only are you make aging it for a number of years and then, you know, losing a lot of it to evaporation or, or you know, so, soaking into the wood, soaking into the barrel, you know, it's, it's not this, it wasn't really a level playing field, but they were trying to compete with that. Mm. And so that's why a lot of the prices uh, dropped so low and it wasn't everything, you know, Maker's Mark has always had a, a top shelf product, but when I started doing this, Maker's Mark was like, I don't know. 28 29 30 you know 31 not it it hasn't gone up much past that right like i think probably the going rate for a 750 of of standard makers mark now is maybe 35 or 40 bucks it's not mm-hmm. it hasn't gone up a crazy amount because you know they were already charging you know a, a reasonable amount of money for that product so in that context, we've seen a lot of these, you know, the kind of bottled in bonds that you can only get in Kentucky that were very inexpensive, like this Heaven Hill six-year-old bottled in bond go away. And what Heaven Hill did was actually something interesting. They brought it back as a seven-year. Mm. So they changed the packaging. They brought it back. And it's still not crazy expensive. I think the last time I priced it, it was maybe, you know, $30, $32, maybe $35. So it's not an outrageous amount of money for an aged whiskey. But what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we don't have to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So why would we? And, you know, they've repackaged it reimagined it and brought it back as a little bit older you know and a little bit of a nicer package i'm sure i've got a bottle around here somewhere i i should have pulled that down off the shelf also (laughs) but it's still very good product and it's still very affordable so that is one piece of what's going on here right the other side of that is you know there are some folks who are like hey these whiskey fans, they will pay as much as we charge, no mm-hmm. matter what. Because, you know, you see things like the secondary market, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I, I don't think anybody's out there 
we're starting to see a little bit more like that's close to secondary pricing for MSRP. That's maybe a little excessive, but you know, for the most part, especially the large producers, they're kind of like just incrementally bumping up or, you know, taking these, these value products and reimagining them. So you have like kind of a broad spectrum of folks that are kind of reimagining the landscape of the, the shelves and liquor stores. You know, they know that people are going in looking for new things, looking for things that they haven't seen before, looking for a new offering from a distillery that they already like and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's kind of all over the spectrum as far as like who's raising prices and why and how much and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're totally right. The large producers, I'm seeing that as well. It's every single year it ticks up by five bucks. Some of these products, I mean, like Booker's is a good example. I just feel like every single year Booker's is $5 more expensive. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of things going on here. And you mentioned the secondary and you know, it's impossible to discuss this without of course, bringing up the secondary, which is just absolutely rampant. I don't know what it's like in Kentucky. I'm sure it's very rampant in Kentucky. I can tell you my neck of the wood here in uh, New England, it is, it's everywhere. It's constant. It's every day. It's yeah. online. These people are selling bottles for exorbitant prices and people are buying them. And these bottles are whizzing back and forth all over the place. I mean, I, w- when you become as big of a whiskey nerd as I am, you tend to just end up knowing every single person who is also a whiskey nerd in your area. And these flippers, they are whiskey nerds. They're flippers, but they're also whiskey nerds. So I know all of yeah. them and I know what they're doing. And I've seen them buy eight bottles at a time and then flip them for three times the price three weeks later from a store, I've seen them buy bottles and batches and sell them, you know, for significant markup uh, in the, in not that long after they purchased them. And the reason this happens is because people are buying them because people are willing to pay these prices. But why are people willing to pay these prices? I have some thoughts, but before I say that, I'm curious what you have to say. I think it's mostly a convenience factor, right? Time is money. And the flippers are willing to go and camp out. Literally, we have people camp out in front of stores here. I don't know if you still have that uh, where you are or if that, yeah. I mean, they'll sleep in a chair on the sidewalk for, you know, a day to be first in line. A lot of the liquor stores here started banning the sidewalk camping. And so people started buying campers. So they'll camp in the parking lot and they'll put their chair on the sidewalk to indicate who's in line where. Oh my goodness. These folks are really serious about it. But when it comes to paying the secondary prices now in Kentucky, we've done something really interesting that not a whole lot of place. The only other place that you can do it that I know of is Washington, DC. We have consumers can sell bottles to a license holder. So All these other things that we're talking about where people are selling it on the black market, like that's illegal. You you have to have a, a liquor license to be able to sell spirits. And there's not, traditionally, there has not been an allowance for resale for mm-hmm. like buying, uh, you know, like the, the only thing I've ever seen that would come close to that is, you know, I used to work for a local liquor store chain here and they would buy a store and then get all that inventory. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's that's a totally different animal. The so famous, technically, the like, famous stickering over somebody else's pick. Yes. <laughs> when you see the double sticker on a bottle, that's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we don't have a whole... I haven't seen that before, but I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So, you know, we... We have a, a law here in Kentucky, the Vintage Spirits Law. So it, it has some some guardrails around it where it's supposed to be something that's not available on the market. So it's not like a flipper can go to a, a store, buy something, and then walk into another store and sell it to them. It has to be something that is not available on the market. And there are some other guardrails around that. 
in Washington, D.C., I don't think they have those guardrails. It's just like you can walk in and, and be like, here, buy this, whatever. I wasn't aware um, of that. I didn't know. I thought it was only Kentucky with that law. I didn't realize D.C. had. So it. it's not that D.C. specifically has that law. It's that they don't really have any laws preventing mm -hmm. that from taking place. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jack Rose has been so successful mm -hmm. in, in that area. Um, but so, um, you know, we have we have that vintage spirits law where if you want to buy something, you hold on to it for, for a few years, maybe you don't drink it or maybe, you know, you gave it or somebody gave it to you as a gift and you don't really like it or whatever. You can then take that to, uh, you know, a license holder and they can buy that from you. So we have we have that kind of a thing. But, you know, we also have the people who camp out, they buy the bottles, they try to sell them on the black market and the people who are willing to pay these prices. So when you go to one of these reselling stores, the prices are pretty expensive. It's a convenience factor, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with, you know, somebody who's willing to pay additional money to buy something on the black market. You know, a lot of times people will come to me and be like, can you get Pappy? And I say, no, <laughs> like I can't even get me Pappy. <laughs> but if you want it bad enough, go over here to Justin's House of Bourbon. It's going to cost you, but they've got it, you know. And so it's the same kind of thing. So a lot of people, and I assume it has something to, to do with like bragging rights or like, yeah. you know, this is, this is a big celebration. I want to have the best, the best bottle, you know, and like the best bottle is the bottle that you're having when you're totally having agree. a good time. Right. But a lot of people want that, uh, that name or that special bottle, that special um, label or whatever to enhance their celebration. And really, you know, like I, I always tell people, uh, you know, and, and this is something that Michael Beach writes about. He calls it the ephemeral mm -hmm. nature of tasting bourbon. You know, if you're having a great time, whatever you're pouring is going to be great. You know, Absolutely. that's just really how this works. Absolutely. And you make such a good point about the Pappy, too. I tell people this all the time because I get asked the same dumb question all the time. Can you get Pappy? Where's Pappy? Do you have any Pappy? And it's like, you don't want Pappy. Like, what other whiskeys have you drank? You don't want to go straight to Pappy. Pappy is some of the hottest bourbon on the market. If you just go straight to Pappy, you're going to burn your tongue off. You won't be able to taste anything for a week. Like, if you have you had Pappy before? Do you know what you're asking for? It'd be like if you're driving a normal car, then being like, you know what? I'm going to take a race car to work today. This is going to be great. I'm going to go 200 miles an hour on the highway. No, you're going to kill yourself. You don't want to go from drinking normal bourbon to Pappy. Pappy is something to work your way up to. It's super hot. That is a very mm. hot whiskey. There's so much other whiskey out there that you can walk into any liquor store today and buy that you're going to, it's going to be so much more drinkable and you're going to enjoy so much more and you're going to pay one one thousandth of the price. You brought up another thing that I think is really affecting whiskey prices. Uh, and that is, you, you mentioned the appeal of these bottles from bragging rights and I call it the Facebook FOMO um, because there's, oh, just, yeah. <laughs> there's so many That's whiskey groups as someone who may or may not run a very large whiskey group. There's so many whiskey groups out there right now on social media. And obviously it's not just Facebook. It's fun to have alliteration, sure. but Facebook FOMO and these bottles get posted and then every single person gets jealous about it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of it myself. I get sent samples all the time. I got sent this Remus repeal reserve, uh, excuse me, Remus Gatsby reserve. It's going to be delicious whiskey. I didn't pay for it. They sent me the sample and I posted and then everyone's jealous and everybody's going to go try to find the bottle. And this is happening a thousand, a thousand, a million times a day on oh, social sure. media over and oh, over sure. again and becomes an echo chamber of everybody wanting the same 40 or 50 bottles. Obviously all Buffalo trace fits into this bucket as well. And it's uh, been, since you mentioned Buffalo trace, it has been absolutely wild seeing the Pappy effect on Buffalo trace because everybody's like, Oh, well, Pappy and Weller are the same mash bill. So then Weller was, you know, 
highly sought after. And then everybody's like, well, but they make all this other stuff at the same place. So it's got to be good too. And so like, even just getting like standard Buffalo Trace bourbon can be tricky sometimes. Eagle Rare doesn't sit on the shelf anymore. Oh yeah. That blows my mind. I mean, like when I, so I started off my career working in the liquor store and like all this stuff used to just sit on, that was when people would start like looking for Pappy and Mm. we, you know, we would only get like three bottles twice a year and we'd set it out in the front counter and wait for somebody to come by and pick it up. And sometimes it took like over a day for it to Mm -hmm. to sell or which is wild now, right? Like (laughs) they, so in in the last, I would say maybe about five years after my my liquor store time ended, I had heard from somebody at the place where I used to work that they used to have to go out and sit on the truck while the guy was unloading it because people would like hop on the truck Absolutely. or they would follow the trucks to stop very, to stop to very common. To I hear find this all out the time. What, what people got. I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy. But you know, like at the end of the day, I feel like if people are having fun doing this, if they're mm-hmm. doing some, if they're doing this because it's enjoyable to them, you know, like there's the thrill of the hunt, there's the bragging rights. You know, there there are a lot of it's yeah. it's not a terrible thing that we're talking about here you know nobody's getting murdered absolutely so I like I, I hope it doesn't I come know. to that well, i mean don't it speak could, it into it an existence maggie i hope not i hope not we'll we'll take that we'll walk that the one pappy back. murders the pap i know that gosh i mean next after netflix pappy documentary is, yeah. oh my gosh um but yeah i mean i feel like you know there are worse hobbies to have yeah. i guess um, no, you're there right. are worse things to be doing with your time if it if it gives people enjoyment like i'm all for it and you know the main thing that i i see it as is you know that's that's job security for us right mm-hmm. because as long as people are talking about this stuff we can keep writing about it yeah i mean notice that i called the flippers my friends i'm friends with all the flippers yeah. in connecticut they're just whiskey nerds they're whiskey nerds mm-hmm. who take it so seriously that they will spend an entire day visiting 15 different liquor stores to buy three bottles. I compare it to how the way my mom used to antique and probably still antiques. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, when, when she would go antiquing and would drive up into New Hampshire, Vermont, she'd hit 12 different antique stores and buy three things. And, but she'd spend all day doing it. And the fun was hunting for these things. It's no different. Yep. Yep. It's this yeah. exact I mean, same it's, thing. It's a hobby. And as long, you know, as long as you have other things going on and you like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of cringe when I see people like buckling their bottles into their baby seats in their cars. I'm just like, I mean, that's funny, but like, let's maybe not take it that far. I could, I could <laughs> do know? without the, I could do without the crotch shot too. I'm yeah, good with oh that. God, I hope yeah. that goes, uh, that goes away. Eventually. I, I have, I have done a couple of crotch shots before. <laughs> I have to admit that. I may or um, may not have done one myself. I can actually yeah. think of the last bottle I did it for, but it was years ago. I swear to yeah, God. I, years I ago. did one years ago and I posted it in one of the now long gone local groups here in Louisville. And uh, I was like, am I doing this right? And everybody thought it was really funny. And then that was, you know, that, <laughs> that was my crotch shot era. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we all have our crotch shot eras. <laughs> Uh, you know, another thing I think it's important to talk about with the rising prices of whiskey, and it was actually the Justin's House of Bourbon people who first said this, or at least said this uh, in my presence, and I really like the point they made, which is the quality of these products are very, very high. You oh, know, yeah, if you're absolutely. paying you're paying high prices, but you're getting a very high quality product. Caroline from Justin's House of Bourbon made an excellent point one year when uh, she was at Bourbon Classic, excuse me. It's been an excellent point one year at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. She talked about, look at the prices of scotch. And I know that scotch obviously has all the taxes, excise taxes being put on it, import taxes being put on it. That's going to raise the prices anyways. But I mean, it's it's so much more expensive comparatively than bourbon. Why shouldn't bourbon have similar prices to scotch when the quality is just as good? 
And that's really a great point that you bring up because, you know, when I, when I look at these things, you know, like the folks who are, you know, paying those secondary prices, going into a place like Justin's house of bourbon to buy a bottle on the secondary market, you know, like Justin's house of bourbon took a risk on that bottle. Number one, they had mm-hmm. to vet it. They had to make sure that it was safe, that it was not a refill bottle because there, you know, there are a number of counterfeiters out there as well. And so like when you're looking at paying that price, you, you get a reasonable guarantee that what you're getting is what's actually supposed to be in there right Mm -hmm. but yeah a lot of these bottles are absolutely phenomenal bottles and you know even you know especially if you're fortunate enough to get them for msrp you know that in itself is a lot of bragging rights i don't know if you've ever (laughs) i I don't know how much of that you've seen but like people just are absolutely beside themselves when they get a really great bottle at msrp which i i think is great you know i mean it's it's exciting and you're absolutely right these are they're doing good quality work. You know, when I first started doing this, um, I'm coming up on my 10th anniversary of my first whiskey story that I ever published. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, when I first started doing this, you know, that was really when a lot of the craft distilleries were starting to put out product or some of them were just now being built and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when I, when I first started doing this, there were like maybe, I don't know, like 80 ish or a hundred distilleries in the entire United States. And now there are 3,400. So there's been this huge proliferation. Um, and at first, you know, the, the craft products that were being made were a little rocky. Uh, you know, some folks were releasing things maybe a little bit too soon. They were maybe trying some untested rapid aging techniques that were, that were not great. And so like, the quality of American whiskey back then was kind of hit and miss. And now, you know, the biggest change that I've seen in the last probably two years is that all these craft distilleries, they're on it. They have it figured out. They've got good blenders there. You know, they've got a good seasoned production team. You know, they have the people that they can pull in if they have a problem for help and things like that. So, you know, the the majority of whiskey that you're going to see on shelves now is overwhelmingly good whiskey. And so to to try new things or to try something, to take a risk on something that's a little bit more of an expensive bottle, it's less of a crapshoot, right? Because the majority of what's out there now is very high quality. And, you know, it, it wasn't always that case, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a long time in the bourbon industry, you know, it was it was like eight producers and they knew what they were doing and that's why they were still in business. But there were like four people buying bottles from those eight producers for like 30 (laughs) or 40 years, you know? Um, And God bless them. They kept the lights on and kept going and, Mm -hmm. and look what happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now you have all these producers and they're all making just absolutely amazing products and adding so much to the landscape and so much to the flavor landscape of American whiskey yeah, there's there's some amazing stuff out there. It's definitely um, a lot more worthwhile and 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 easier to get a good bottle. Yes, again, you can walk into a store any day and find yourself a good bottle. I mean, the hunt is fun, but don't go crazy if you don't yeah. want to. Feel free to walk in and ask the retail staff there. Maggie being former one herself, she understands. Absolutely, so, absolutely. I, the people in the stores in my town, they're whiskey nerds just like I am. I go and I chat with them all the time. I share samples, they share what's new. Go ask the staff in the store, What's good. You brought up the SRP and I just wanted to say that's the new bottle crotch shot is people will post the bottle with, with the receipt proving that they paid SRP. That is the new crotch shot. I see so much of that on social now. Oh yeah. It's, it's good bragging rights. I mean, and a lot of, a lot of it is, you know, like people are getting luckier, but also there's a lot more available now because Mm. we had, you know, we, we were headed to a whiskey shortage there for a long time in the Mm. mid teens. Uh, the mid 20 teens. And, you know, I think a lot from the time I started this to now, 
so many distilleries have doubled and quadrupled capacity. Like it's established. So the first time I went to Maker's Mark, uh, my oldest son was in a stroller. I took him around Maker's <laughs> Mark in a stroller. And uh, so he's 16 now. So that was, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And now since then they have quadrupled capacity, mm-hmm. uh, their production capacity. They've, they're adding Rick houses. They've added a whole bunch of stuff, but like just production capacity has quadrupled in that, you know, 15 year time period. That's wild to think. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my closing question to you is where, where do the prices start to level off? And does it have to do with the fact that yes, as you, as you said, all of these places are increasing production significantly. I mean, again, you mentioned Woodford Reserve, you look at Buffalo Trace, which just opened Mm -hmm. a second duplicate still to the one they already had. So they're doubling production. The the list goes on and on all these play heaven Hill, all these places are increasing production dramatically. What's that mean long-term? Well, so it's interesting because you, when you look at this in a historic context, you know, the, and I actually just wrote a column about this for American Whiskey Magazine. Back in the mid to late 1800s, there was a group of people called the Whiskey Trust. And they, they had some scandals, but the main thing that they did was they all got together and they said, okay, well, everybody agree to not go over this amount of production every year because they didn't want to cause a glut in the market. And, uh, you know, it was really, this was before, obviously before any of the, you know, laws that regulated that sort of behavior Mm -hmm. in industries had taken place, but it was, it was really interesting because, you know, then every once in a while, somebody would be like, well, screw this, there's money to be made. And they'd go outside of that and they would almost always end up in trouble because they would produce too much. They would not be able to sell it. And then, you know, they would start having financial problems and then it was all downhill from there. So one of the guys that I wrote about was George Buchanan. And he was at one time the wealthiest man in in Kentucky. And he did a number of things wrong. So one, he went outside of the whiskey trust, made as much as he wanted, you know, got a little financially rocky there, kind of recovered from that. And then he started selling warehouse receipts and he wasn't super careful about making sure that he had all of that available for people and ended up selling the same barrels sometimes to multiple people. And so, you know, he ended up fleeing to Canada and uh, was in hiding in Canada for several years. And the quote unquote Buchanan affair uh, was newspaper fodder in both the morning and evening editions of the paper at times. You know, it was the latest update in the Buchanan because he was such a wealthy person mm-hmm. and he owed so many people money and ended up, you know, his distillery was repossessed. Everything was auctioned off and he was able to pay all of his creditors. And by the time everything shook out, like he was only, he he was only in the hole about $5,000, but he had lost everything just by not being careful Hmm. so you know i look at stuff like that and i'm kind of like well you know do we want to be having this much production but there are some key differences in the market today versus you know the 1800s versus the 1950s versus the 1990s etc etc and that is you know we have uh places like India and China and, you know, places all over Asia where there's a growing middle class where people have disposable income and they are very interested in American products, particularly American whiskeys. And so, you know, if we can keep the trade wars from interfering with that, (laughs) not to get political, 
not to get political, but that's, you know, that's, that, that has hurt a lot of producers Absolutely. already. You know, the tariffs were, were very harmful to a lot of people. Um, you know, I know a lot of folks had really spent a lot of time, done a lot of legwork to get their products into Europe. And then, mm. you know, it all kind of blew up and they had to pull back. And, you know, these, these are people who like, well, we were going to add another, you know, full-time position to our, our distillery. And now we can't do that. Or we we're going to add another bottling line. Now we can't do that. Needless um, trade wars help nobody. Not to get political. Needless exactly. trade wars help nobody. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it it had a real impact on especially the craft producers. The larger producers, you know, it, it was a blip on their radar. But, you know, for the smaller ones, uh, it was it was very life altering for them. Mm. Um, and so as long as we can keep those trade channels open and keep that interest growing, there are so many markets that can be grown uh, as far as interest in, in all styles of American whiskey, anything, you know, anything American uh, has, has been of great interest uh, to a lot of these, you know, newly middle-class folks in, in other countries. So that's a major difference. And so like, I, I see, I think we're going to one hit an equilibrium as far as price increases, because I don't, I, I think that the market is not going to bear a whole lot more, at least here in the United States. I think that, you know, a lot of consumers are starting to look in other directions uh, or maybe, you know, and, and it's going to be really good for legacy producers because you can get a really great bottle of Maker's Mark for like 35, 40 bucks. And if you're looking at that and you're looking at, you know, a $1,500 bottle of Van Winkle Family Reserve or something like that, mm, you know, like maybe that's going to be an easier choice in the near future. So I think we're going to hit an equilibrium as far as uh, the price increases, hopefully before too much longer. And then also, I think we're going to see, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot, we've seen a lot more whiskey production, we're seeing a lot of, you know, distilleries are building Rick House after Rick, you know, at one point in, I think, 2019, 2020, Buffalo Trace was breaking ground for a 30,000 barrel Rick House every four months, Yeah, which yeah. is just absolutely bananas. Crazy. <laughs> That's a lot of capacity, but we are still not at the same capacity at, in Kentucky as we were in the mid 1970s. That was the peak. So we're still, we're, we're inching up to it. I think we're pretty close to it, but we're still not at that, that peak capacity. Now, nationwide, we may be past where we were at that, mm -hmm. at that peak because just because of the proliferation of distilleries and places that really never had large commercial distilling operations. But yeah, we're going to see equilibrium of prices, but you know, as far as production is concerned, I'm not as worried about that as long as we can keep those, those trade partnerships going. Excellent points all around. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me as always. I really appreciate it. It's extremely educational as always, Maggie. Thank you so much. I always learn so much. I'm sure our listeners always learn so much whenever we get a chance to get you on our podcast. Thank you so much. Where can people find your work? You mentioned that uh, column you just wrote. Yeah. So my, my main publication is American Whiskey Magazine. I'm the content editor there. I also contribute to Whiskey Magazine, Bourbon Plus, Covey Rise, Alcohol Professor, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Definitely go check out some of Maggie's work. I read it all the time. Very informative, very good. And thank you to everybody who tuned in again. Until next time, cheers. Thanks, Kyle. If you enjoyed the On and Off podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Also, you can find more great content at cheersonline.com and beveragedynamics.com, including recipes, product reviews, and interviews with the movers and shakers of the beverage alcohol industry. 
You can also sign up for our free weekly e-newsletter for both publications on our websites. Cheers. Cheers.